Hello and welcome to the Interrosette Football Discussion. My name is Simon and on this show I will discuss the current football news stories and give my opinions on them. On today's episode I'll discuss Raphael Varane's move to Man United, the signing of Brian Gill to Spurs and the legacy of Eric Lamella as he goes the other way, a look into the work done by Michael Edwards in selling players since Klopp's arrival at Liverpool, before finishing up discussing a video released of a Real Madrid training drill where Martin Odegaard appears to be completely ignored. These episodes are recorded live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash and you may hear me reading out comments and answering questions from the live chat there. To get your questions answered and have an input, make sure to follow the channel on Twitch and you'll receive a notification when I go live. The other way to keep up to date with the show is to follow me on Twitter at into underscore row underscore z. Due to a few technical glitches on episode one, there's a bit of a hard cut into the episode today. Thanks very much for listening and enjoy the show. And I think looking at... Uh, today's headlines and what the the main bits of news are that's what I'm going to be focusing on and it seemed like a good day to I suppose start the discussion and join in especially with Raphael Varane and potentially on the brink of joining Man United and which is absolutely huge and I think I don't think there's anybody out there who thinks it's a bad deal I and if they do I can't understand why it it doesn't make sense to me I think it is an absolutely fantastic deal for for Man United for the price that's being quoted, for I suppose the the, the fact that they're getting a, a serial winner in. I I can't see how it doesn't work. I can't see how it doesn't benefit Man United getting this signing in. You're looking at Rafael Varane. He's 28 years of age. He's been with Madrid for 10 seasons and has 360 appearances for the club across all competitions. In that time, he has won three La Ligas. He's won four Champions Leagues and he's won the World Cup of France as well. And he's got like 79 French caps on top of that. He is one of the best centre-halves in world football. I've seen a lot of people saying that look, he didn't have a great season last year. I don't think Madrid as a whole potentially had as good a season as they should have had. And if you're looking at a player who's been with the club for, for 10 years. And I mean has regularly been a starter for probably... I'm going to say maybe the last five, six of those. I know that it took him time when he first joined, obviously at such a at such a young age to to break into the team. But overall, he has been a rock in that centre defence next to Sergio Ramos in particular. When you look at those those Champions League wins, he was involved in in those. He was a key player in all of those, um, barring injury where they would have had players stepping in. And I just think his profile in terms of his attitude, his mentality, and having a proven track record is exactly what Man United need right now. You're looking at Man United and you're looking at a team that are looking to make that next step to get back to winning ways. You're looking at a squad where there's been a lot of new players coming in over the past few years. There's It's a completely new squad to the one that would have won the, the league under Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, I think De Gea would have been part of that. Phil Jones, that's probably it off the top of my head in that were in that squad because as time goes by that's that's getting further and further away um since Man United last won the league so because of that they need to bring people in who have had success who have that experience and who have won won titles because success breeds success and a player who comes in with that mentality having experienced it so regularly that idea of winning isn't going to be satisfied with coming into a team that's just there to, to make up the numbers. It's it's not how it's going to work. He will push all of those around him and he will challenge everybody within the squad to get to that level 
um, that they need to challenge. I'm not saying that United are going to win this the league this season on the back of signing Rafael Varane. But what I'm saying is that they've certainly got a better mental- mentality as a group by bringing a player such as that into the squad. And I don't think there's any denying that. Um, I, I think the fee that has been discussed, we're talking about £40 million. Pounds. I think that when you look at today's market, that seems like an absolute bargain. And you kind of wonder how they got it so cheap. And I think if you look at it, they've, they've kind of got Madrid's pants down over it, if we're being honest, because Rafael Varane has one year left on his deal. So he had said he doesn't want to sign a new contract, which straight away means, right, we need to sell him now or risk losing him for free. So you've got a club like Real Madrid who right now are in not the same financial despair as Barcelona are in, but certainly are in a situation whereby they need money. Um, the way that the Liga works on their on their salary caps, basically, it's on an estimate of what they're expected to earn this year. Um, so it's not done looking back on last season, it's looking forward to this season. So without the guarantees of having um, fans in the stadium, etc., and everything that goes with that, there is going to be a hit there, which has reduced their salary cap that they're allowed to have. So you've got a... You've got a team who need the money coming in, who can't risk letting a player walk out the door for free because they, they will need to bring in a replacement for him. And essentially, United have been able to, to, to get an absolute bargain for that. At 28 years of age, I think, had he three, four years left on his on his deal or had he recently signed a new contract, I think we're probably talking at least 60 million for him. So you're talking about shaving 20 million off that price anyway. Um, and obviously that price could have been higher depending on what Madrid would have felt comfortable in, in selling him for. So I think that United have got a fantastic deal to bring in a player of that quality, of that calibre for that price. And now that said, United are still putting their hands in their pockets with it because I know that 40 million in, in, in today's transfer market is is a bargain price. And there's, there's no denying that. But there probably isn't going to be a sell-on value at the end of that. Um, if he signs a four or five-year deal, you're looking at him being 32-33 at the end of that, where it'll probably be a case of seeing out his contract and, and potentially leaving the club. Or, you know, if they're, all things going well at 30 years of age, could look for a contract extension and there might be a, a sale made around that time. Um, and if he was to go at that time, you're not going to recoup that money. But I don't think that's United's main concern at the moment I think it's about making sure that they bring in a a, a winner into that team and bringing in a, a serial winner at that the other thing is that I've been reading now this could very well be paper talk and speculation but they're they're in a position where they're looking to double his wages now I don't know exactly the figure that Varane is on at the moment with Madrid but there is no way that it's a, a light salary that he's on or a small figure so you're talking about doubling what I would imagine is an already significant figure which I assume is going to make him one of the top paid players at the club if not the top paid player now that's why I'm, I'm skeptical to believe it because I would assume that Rafael Varane is on anywhere between 150 and 200,000 with Madrid making it we're looking at 300 to 400,000 with United and I think that's a bit mental I don't think that's what he's going to be getting but I'll stand corrected on it it'll be interesting to see if if more comes out in that I'm just looking at these there in the, the chat saying that he, he likes this deal and United are looking strong I agree 
to as well as obviously as well as Varane having Sancho come in already is certainly an upgrade and I think if you're looking at these deals that United are making you're saying Varane is coming in and is better than what they have at centre half they are upgrading you look at Sancho coming in and you have to say that they are upgrading Evening Kahuna thank you for joining the chat and there's like they they had a good season last season it kind of it, it did kind of I suppose fall away a bit towards the end where they really did look like they were potentially challenging for a while but to bring in players of this caliber and to strengthen in that way is it's it's certainly not going to hamper them and it will push them onto that next level and as I said bringing in that mentality as well I think is a is a key thing and when you look at Ferran he's probably the, the the perfect partner for Maguire as well I think we've looked at let's say Victor Lindelof over the past few years and I don't think that Lindelof is a bad defender necessarily but I think that the way United play with such a high line he gets caught out he gets turned he gets left on his arse essentially and I think that that's what they've been lacking when you look at when Eric Bay is uh, Eric Bay has played next to him he's got that pace and that recovery that Lindelof doesn't have I think that Lindelof in the fundamentals of defending is probably a better defender but he doesn't have that pace to cope with things and when you look at Ferran I mean he's what he's six foot three he is strong as anything and he's athletic he can cover a lot of ground when he makes up that when he gets turned and he's running back towards goal so I think he is exactly what they have needed and I think he he ticks a lot of those boxes for them um, supposed to be on seven. Varane is supposed to be on seven million in Madrid. So United will be playing him at twelve and a half million apparently. Okay, so if we're breaking that down over, over a over the the weeks, we'll say, um, we're saying divide that by by fifty two. So we're probably looking around two hundred and forty grand a week, I think. Um, which is I think is is very good value. I would have thought he was on close to that at at Madrid, if I'm being honest, which is so. That's probably what an elite player is going to be getting paid. Let's let's be honest with it. So, when you when you put it like that, that's not bad. Um, all you need in, all United need now is a rock solid defensive midfielder, and maybe a striker. I agree. I think Declan Rice being linked with them, I'm not surprised. I think that that is very much what United need. I think that when you look at the the McFred midfield as they've been calling it, it's. I don't think it's bad. I don't like Fred for the the stick that he gets. I don't think is that bad. Um, and McTominay I actually quite like. Um, but they're not that midfield general. That's again going to win you the league. And I think bringing in, if they bring in a proper defensive midfielder, the likes of a Declan Rice, I think that allows Paul Pogba to play in a central midfield role knowing that he's got cover behind him and if Pogba can just be left to his own devices he is go he plays much better now if Pogba is to leave I think that opens up another question in that central midfield and then you look at the likes of let's say does Donny van de Beek come into that to that position if they've got a, a defensive midfielder beside him so I think that the central midfield area does need strengthening I think the likes of Sancho on the right is absolutely fantastic you've got let's say Rashford on the left Fernandez or, or Fernandes as I've learned learned it's pronounced Bruno Fernandes in that number 10 role I think Cavani up top is is fantastic I wonder if they're not going for a striker is to maybe give Greenwood more time through the middle do they want to give Rashford more time through the middle and put Greenwood out, uh, out wide They've got. They've certainly got options there, but I do think that having a a top quality central midfielder is needed, and I think if Pogba goes, 
then it opens up that need for that bit of a spark in midfield as well. But overall, with two signings done, you have to say they look they look much stronger. I mean, you've got Maguire and Varane will be the starters. Lindelof um, and Eric Bay will be the the backups. You got two Anzebi as a as a youngster if he if he stays there. Um, which I think is he potentially could be going out on loan. Um, if, if if it's the case that he's not getting game time, he's at that age now where he does need to play and Varane joining pushes him further back the, the pecking order. And I know that a lot of United fans have been asking for him to play more because he has those, I suppose, those elements that we were saying that Varane has. He has that speed, he has that size and he is good defensively. Um, and they're the areas that maybe Lindelof was getting caught out on in terms of the speed. Um, so there were a lot of people saying maybe he, he should be playing next to Maguire. So if that puts him down the, the pecking order, does he go out on loan? Do they look to maybe offset the likes of Lindelof and put his salary and his transfer fee against the Varane deal, potentially making a better one, bringing two and Zabi further up the rank in terms of how close he is to the the starting eleven? I think there's 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 certainly options, certainly options there. Um, just to go back on some of the the comments there, indeed saying that he doesn't mind uh, Fred or McTominay, but you need Pogba deep, and and you need a class uh, a world class DM next to him. And I think that's exactly it. I think that if Pogba's there next to, as I said, the likes of a of a Declan Rice, who I think you don't notice the good stuff he does um, as much. He doesn't get the headlines for the just breaking up the play and stuff that he does very well. I think that that allows Pogba to be a better player, 100%. And the thoughts go in saying, can you imagine losing him twice for free? Um, I that's I think that's probably why they will look to sell him. I don't know. I, I think there could be an element of saving face if his mind is made up that he's not signing a new deal. Um, and I think that, United could probably make a stand by selling him as well and saying, well, if you don't want to be here, the best of luck. We're not going to give in to your demands and we're not going to do X, Y, and Z. And I think that maybe that maybe that show of, of strength in a way, it, I'm not saying that it's, you know, they're they're really winning that battle because obviously he's hinted that he might want to to leave anyway. So, but I do think that that might, um, that might help it. And it might make United look better and it might save their face, I suppose, in, in the future and going forward and any other players might be as quick to to raise concerns if they were only doing it to try and get their way um so i think that you know it's man united that that is the bottom line let's be honest about it there you know one of the biggest football clubs in the world and if you don't want to be there they should just get rid of you and get somebody else in um and i think that's that's where it's at um axel coming back to to villa (laughs) um yeah well I, I and, and interesting. I'm going to come to that. Villa winning the transfer window so far. I'm going to I'm going to come on to that one in a second because I think there's. I personally think Crystal Palace might be doing the the best bit of business there, but um, could try Verratti Pogba swap. I think that regardless, PSG are going to have to get rid of some midfielders. Um, they they seem to have an absolute abundance of them. They've Verratti, they have Idrissa Gay, they have Paredes, they have um Wijnaldum, they have. I'm going to be missing a few. Rabio just but no, Rabio's with the Juventus now. Um but I can't I know that there's a there's a few others there that aren't coming to mind. Um so they do look a bit a bit stacked in there. Um so they'll probably have to move somebody on if they were to if they were to bring him in, but not as stacked as they are um in goal with an absolute insane amount of of, of goalkeepers. Um just just to touch on that the idea of of winning the transfer window. I do think that um I do think that Crystal Palace seem to be doing the the best bit of business. I know the Michael Olise who they signed from Reading has, you know, has been touted as a a very hot prospect, and I think being homegrown player 
um, despite being French, but uh, homegrown for registration purposes um, from coming through the academies there, working under Vieira, you know, having that, that French connection made sense. The the guy they got from, from Chelsea, Gehi, I think I'm, I think I'm pronouncing that correct, um, who they signed from Chelsea, who was on loan with Swansea last season, um, apparently was superb for them last year. Um, and a lot of a, a lot of Chelsea fans seemed upset with the deal. And I think that's always a sign that, okay, you might you might be onto something there. Um, but again, probably due to the numbers that they have and needing to, to offset players, they, that was the reason that they sold him. And looking now at bringing in um, Joachim Anderson or, um, or Joachim, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, um, from Leon, who was on loan with Fulham last year, had a very good season. I think that Palace seem to be doing their business. They're doing their business early definitely doing their business early getting players in i think that that's that's what you need to do and with the new manager and the fact that they're moving quick it shows us uh, definitely shows support for Vieira. definitely shows that he's getting the the backing that he needs to say that they are i suppose bringing in the players that he's been he's been looking at and you would hope that those are the players then that are going to be looking at you know essentially i suppose implementing that style that he wants to um i I, when Vieira was at Nice, didn't see an awful lot of them, so I couldn't comment on that. But he's bringing in a lot of young players with a lot of potential. Um, and from what I've heard in their preseason games, he's been playing nothing but um, but attacking football. And Turfhead is in as well. <laughs> Just saying, Jim White's going to be out of a job. I'll have to get my yellow tie. Um, and if we get our targets over the line, I'd say our window is up there. On that, Deej, which is an interesting point, because as I, as I know that Deej is a, a Spurs fan, I'm going to come on to that. And I know that um, Brian Gill has just signed today. I think it was announced um, with with Lamella um, going the other way to Sevilla. So it was Lamella and just shy of 22 million, I think, um, is what they were, what the price for, for Brian Gill was. So I don't know too much about Brian Gill. He's obviously with Sevilla. He's been on loan the past couple of seasons with Leganes and Ibar. Um, and at 20 years of age, he's got 85 appearances uh, across all competitions, um, all in Spain. I just know he's a left-footed winger. He seems he seems neat on the ball, as you expect with with pretty much um, pretty much every you know Spanish player in, in the past 20 years. I think they've all just been quite uh, technically gifted. So he's got a big role to come in. Because Lamella has obviously gone the other way, and um, the bail loan from from Spurs is obviously over. So you've got two left-footed players there going out, and you've got him coming in, which, as things would stand, would suggest that he's going to get quite a bit of game time. Um, so he's going to have to come in, um, to straight away into the squad. He's going to have to settle in a new country at twenty years of age. Moving country isn't going to be an easy thing to do. I'm assuming there's going to be a betting in period where he's going to have to have to settle in and get used to everything. Um, just on a personal level and to, to feel comfortable within the squad as well as getting used to a league which is maybe a bit more physical and I know that everybody says oh yeah the, you know the Premier League is a more physical league it's it's not, ne- not necessarily that much more but definitely there's a there's a bit more about it by comparison to, to a few leagues on the continent so he's going to have to come in and hit the ground running for Spurs because there's a massive hole there and even at that when you I, I say there's a massive hole. That's mainly because of Bale leaving. Because if we look at Lamella, he was at Spurs for eight seasons, um, which is crazy um, to think that it was eight years ago that, that Garrett Bale was sold. Spurs went absolutely crazy with the money they had. And one of the signings that they brought in was Eric Lamella. And when 
he was joining from Roma people like Spurs fans were jumping with joy there was a lot of people around Europe envious of this he was really really being touted as an amazing prospect he'd have been 21 at the time and you're saying this is the neck this is guy's going to be one of the next next big Argentinian players he's going to be one of the guys that everybody is talking about and in my eyes and this isn't being biased as an Arsenal fan he did not live up to that um in the season before he left um Italy his last season with Roma he got 15 goals so he got 15 goals in his last season with Roma in eight seasons with Spurs he got 17 goals and that is an insane disparity between the two I mean you're talking to get three more goals in seven seasons I think is is crazy um uh, what's sad uh, Eric Lamella sorry there now with Lamella it's sad that a tweet of Eric Lamella in his eight seasons at Spurs has only kicked the ball with his right foot 11 times <laughs> it's actually believable well when you look at the the amazing goal that he got against Arsenal and that Rabona uh, it just shows how little he liked to use his right foot to be in the opposition area and to rat to an attempt a Rabona shot as opposed to using your right foot so I think that suggests that that genuinely that genuinely uh, could be true but I just think that with eight seasons at the club with the the hype that that was surrounding him before the move with the numbers that he was getting for Roma as I said at 21 years of age I don't think you can say he lived up to that um, and I think that he's had a, he had a few managers at Spurs throughout that time so I don't think that it's yeah I don't think that it's going to be a case of oh did a manager get the best out of him or what the situation was because a few managers tried I mean he would have been there under Pochettino for for large spells under Mourinho I believe it would have been VS Boas who would have who would have signed him initially um and there's uh, obviously towards the 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 end then it would have been um, Ryan Mason who would have had a a bit of a spell with him so I just um I just don't know if 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 it's the player but I, I would say having watched him it was down to his attitude um now I don't know what anybody else will think. He seems a pretty fiery character, though. Um, he doesn't seem to have the professionalism that a manager would like. Um, I think that was shown with the the red card against against Arsenal last, last season, where you just gotta leave it as a professional footballer. You just gotta step back, and I think that he, prob- and I think that if that's how he is on the pitch, I wonder what he's like in in training i wonder what he's like around the place and if if, if that's the case you know I, I i don't think he's going to be a big loss i think bale leaving following his loan as well does leave a massive gap in the squad as a whole though and i think the brian gill coming in at 20 years of age has uh, has a has a lot on his plate ahead of him if he's going to be a a starting player and if he's going to be getting that game time um one of the things that popped up uh, a minute ago was um from tom asking about damari gray so, Damari Gray going from Bayer Leverkusen to Leicester for, I think it's 2 million. I don't know if that's 2 million euros or 2 million pounds. I think it's 2 million euros, 1.6 million pounds, which is just crazy, Um, if I'm being honest with you. Uh, I think Deej, the only one that works is exclamation mark Twitter, I think, Um, because I don't have a Discord. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what age Damari Gray is. I'm going to... I'm going to put a guess that he's probably what 25 now at the moment 25 26 I know he was he was young when he went to Leicester he had spells where he looked 
too hot to handle and then kind of went off the boil there was a lot of discussion about is his final product good enough but i think for that price there's you it's kind of worth the punt if he's going to but benitez has signed damari gray begovic and andrus townsend now i wouldn't call them you know stellar signings by google says 25 good to know i wouldn't call them stellar signings by any stretch of the imagination so there must be a reason that benitez is bringing them in benitez is is far too long in the tooth to i suppose you know look at a squad and get extra players for it that aren't needed he's obviously identified a weakness within the everton team and he's bringing them in to address it and bringing in two wide players and one that uh i mean andrews townsend must be 29 30 years of age now on a free and then two million on Demary gray and feeling that are they better than what he has out wide you know they've got let's say alex alex awobi must be going what's the what am i doing here if both of these players are being brought in is it a directness that he's looking for is it more of a defensive discipline potentially with you know benitez we know is is set up for that um i don't know but it it raises it raises questions like i think it's a good price for demary gray if he plays anywhere near what was hyped of him when he was a younger player and when he first went to leicester but there's no way that Bayer Leverkusen sold him for that price because he was doing the business. And I didn't see an awful lot of Leverkusen last season. And I just think that if they're letting him go for that price, they they don't feel any great loss on it. Um, And I know that they signed him for, for pretty small money from Leicester as well. So, yeah, I think that there's a there'd be a few red flags there. Um, But I would say that there's a reason he was signed. And I would imagine that Benitez has a clear plan as to how he wants to use him because it's not this big name it's not this marquee signing that's going to get Everton fans excited and I would imagine that Everton fans are probably underwhelmed more than anything with the three deals that they've done there was a tweet that I saw and it was saying that Begovic, Gray and um, Andrews Townsend signing for Everton it sounds like a great a great summer transfer window for Sunderland back in 2012 and you're kind of looking at it going yeah <laughs> that sounds about right so I uh, I I do think it's a strange one. Um, just there, Paul, the god of all gingers, McShane, is a player. Tonight, a player. I know. Um, I thought that was a fantastic story. And for those who who didn't hear it, Paul McShane has signed for Man United as an under twenty three player coach. Um, so he has a contract where he is legitimately a a, a player at the club, um, with the purpose of him playing in the under twenty threes as one of their three over um over 23 allowed players so every game you can have three players who are over 23 he is basically going to be one of those designated players i'm going to use that term um to play in the under 23s um while coaching and and getting his badges and getting experience and everything that goes with it and i like it's paul mcshane um it's a great story i mean for the the ridicule that the man may have have received so he'll play in the papa john's trophy he will indeed he will indeed um for the ridicule that the man has received he had a he, he had a pretty stellar career i mean he was a, like in the sense that i mean what is mcshane he must be he's well into his 30s now i'm gonna say he must be in his mid-30s um you know he was he was still getting game time he was still playing football 
Um, he he played it for Ireland against Argentina, and Messi didn't score against him. So Paul McShane played against Messi and didn't score. Anytime he played Messi, Messi did not score, and that's something that he can he can say and be one hundred percent factual with, which is just mental <laughs> to think about it. But yeah, Paul McShane back at Man United as a player. Um, technically um, and a player coach and I wish him all the best it's like from a, a, as an Irishman's point of view it's great to see it's great to see players you know taking that next step and he's he's with a big club and the one thing I will say about Man United is that if you look at the amounts of players who have been there as coaches and assistant managers etc over the years so many of them have gone on to to become managers down the line then so you know let's just hope the same happens with Paul McShane and that he's successful it would be it would be great um correct name is the Papa John's Kentucky Fried Pizza Hut Subway Fun Trophy yeah if you're giving it it's it, it's correct term uh McShane was probably there in all his playing days he ooh, I'd say we could be going back a bit far there would we maybe not actually I would imagine that Paul McShane was coming through as a youngster before Ole left um i I would imagine that that is the case, which is crazy to think about it. Um, but as a as a fan of a, a club, and I know that if it was an Arsenal player who had come through the youth, didn't make it at the club, went away and had a career and came back, I'd be absolutely thrilled. Um, I think it's fantastic when the club show that allegiance to a player and that they, they give them that space. The same as when a, a, a player leaves the club, they're without a club, and they bring them back to, to train to get up their fitness. Um, I think it's fantastic. I know that Tom Huddleston is with Hull at the moment, for example, um, having a good relationship there and it, uh, helping the player out. And I think that those type of players are always looked favor- look, looked upon favourably by the fans because they've shown a commitment to the club, whether it's the fact that they've just come back to say hello, but they've they've shown their, their gratitude to the club and they've got a great relationship and it shows the type of person they were behind the scenes because if somebody left on bad terms or that they were a disruptive influence in the time they were at the club, they wouldn't be invited back. They wouldn't, you know, have that olive branch extended to say, yeah, you can come train with us while you're waiting for a club to keep your fitness up and and everything that goes with it. So I think that, as I said, if you're a fan of that club, you'll definitely look on that on that player or on that potential coach, etc., down the line as as somebody that you you want to um, be asso- want to have associated with the club. Um, so yeah, um, the fa- yes, and we've just had it confirmed that McShane was with United between 2004 and 2006, and it was 2007 when when Solskjaer left. So yes, um, Paul McShane, who was a player at the same time as Man United, as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, is now, um, I suppose, a player slash coach under Solskjaer again. And an interesting one on that that I saw was the last time Arsenal were in the Champions League, um, our current manager was playing against our current captain. Um, when Aubameyang would have been at Dortmund and Arteta would have still been been playing at Arsenal, which is a, a, another interesting one. To move on to the the next topic, and one that I thought was it's it's something that I've always been interested in, something that's always caught my attention, and it was an article I read recently, kind of stirred up the the interest again, followed with a, a transfer rumor today, and that's that's Michael Edwards at Liverpool. I read an article on the Athletic recently. Um, about the the data driven approach being used by clubs throughout the league, and I remember a few years ago reading an article on Bleacher Report about Brentford how they use data and the way that it was done, and found that absolutely fascinating. And there has certainly been more 
of a shift towards using data in transfers than there has ever been in the in the past it, I think if you go back 20 years, 30 years, it was always the eye test and, and before, obviously, but it was always the um, the eye test um, is what people would have gone. Uh, Kuna, the best of luck. Have a good evening, buddy. Um, it was always the eye test that, that scouts had been done on. And, and clubs were were built up of scouting networks. Um, and those scouts would have different connections in different areas around the world. And if you look at Arsene Wenger when he first joined Arsenal, having that, those French connections and being able to pick up players throughout the the French league that before others got there uh, was one of his his talents and then the scouting networks at every club became much larger and finding those gems was was a lot harder and players from the age of 16 17 were being being linked with massive moves to clubs because agents were catching wind that there was a bit of a talent everybody became known to everybody and there, th- those hidden gems became harder to find um, and they were no longer hidden they were exposed as a talent from a very young age and over time then with the the improvement of of data analysis which all clubs have been using and it's now become to the stage where where transfers are heavily being done based on data and there's a number of different companies and websites out there that will provide data to the clubs so they will go out and they will watch every game they will have a video of every game and based on what a player does during that game whether it's sprints per 90 x amount of touches how many touches on their right foot how many touches on their left how many passes with each foot how many completed passes all of this data is put in to their to their data set that they would have and onto their very much large storage that they would have and all the data of all the players so if you are then as a manager looking for a certain player um you're saying i want a left back um who has a good crossing ability same as you would do if you were playing something like football manager or fifa you say i want a good left back with a decent crossing ability you might say i want they would basically go to that and you'd say right here's what we have in terms of players with a crosses connected percentile or it would be much more detailed in their way of crosses into good areas that would create goal scoring chances chances that if met would produce the highest xg etc and go through that um it's going to be a lot more detailed than just the number of assists that we would look at and there's a lot of heavy detail that would be put into that from there then you would add another parameter etc all the way down till you get a number of players and you say right well they got 10 players here who are ticking all the boxes that we have and each of those 10 players then they will have a number of videos on and that's when the eye test comes in where you can essentially read that and thank you very much scooter for the for the raid um and scoot does love carrot cake i hope so um you're, you're just and scoot loves david and saying sorry okay <laughs> welcome everybody um to the first ever um stream where i'm doing a football discussion um i've just started discussing um the use of data analysis um in transfers um and how it is how it has changed and i was just saying how the number of different data companies that are around the world there are different parameters that various clubs will set as i was given the example of a left back they want good crossing they will look at the number of crosses completed the number of crosses put into dangerous areas the number of crosses that would if met by a player lead to a high xg etc um and they would continue to to add other parameters to get it down to a lower number until they're potentially looking at 10 15 20 up to 50 to 100 players i am on that list each of those players then within these data companies have videos of all of their recent games. And that's when your scouting network will start to look the, at, at the eye test um, to see how good are the, the players themselves. 
were they afforded all of that time and space did they did they have to make those chances themselves whatever it might be and it continues to get narrowed down it's from there then the decisions are made on the on the transfer side of things and that's one of the 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 ways the transfers have changed is that use of data with it and one of the 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 player one of the, the the key people i suppose who's been involved in that in the premier league has been michael edwards with liverpool and they signings that Liverpool have made under him have been have been pretty decent. The likes of Sadio Mane, the likes of Allison, Virgil Van Dijk, etc. And we can all say that yeah, we knew they were good players or or whatever it might be, but they have had a a very successful way of bringing in these players who looked like good players, and all of a sudden they realised that they were good enough to literally win a league with and to win a Champions League with. And it's something that um. A scooter, thank you very much for the for the sub also. And it's something that's been absolutely huge is, the, is that use of data. But the, the, the genuine reason that I wanted to speak about Michael Edwards was not just the way that he uses data in terms of, I suppose, bringing those players in, but it's also his negotiation when it comes to selling players. And as an Arsenal fan, one of the things that I find we have, we have lacked tremendously in the, the past number of years is the ability to command a decent fee for the players that we are selling. It is something that, since Arsene Wenger was at the club, we have not done well. We, I, I'm trying to think of the last player that we made a decent money on. I'm going to say it was Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain to Liverpool, and I think that was £35, £40 million, pounds, and I thought that that was, that was quite a good deal. Um, it was a lot of, lot of money to bring in. Um, but bar that, I think we have done absolutely miserably. You look at the Mesut Ozil situation where it was a case of just trying to to run out his contract. Um, you you look at the number of players who have left for free, like Aaron Ramsey. Um, um, you look at, let's say, Sanchez getting into the last year of his deal, being involved in a swap deal for Mkhitaryan, who I don't think Winger genuinely wanted at the time. I think if you look at his, when he was back at Borussia Dortmund, I think 100% Wenger would have been a fan of his then, but having seen how he performed in the Premier League, I don't think he would have been, you know, delighted with that. Um, I would actually put a Wobi in the, the good transfer deals that we've received as well, in terms of getting uh, 35 million from, from Everton for him, which was mad money. But it's something that we've we've struggled with as, as a club. But I think that if you look at, at Liverpool, it's, it's quite the opposite, because... And I would imagine that it's due to a partnership with with Klopp as well, in terms of Klopp giving the go ahead to say that this player is not what I'm looking for. He's not going to be up to the the standard that I want. Um, he's available for for transfer. And Michael Edwards then doing his business on the other end of that. Now, whether he uses data as a sales pitch for players when he is and when he is bringing them out to market or whatever it might be, I don't know. But he joined Liverpool in 2011, and Klopp joined in 2015. So their first summer transfer window together would have been the 2016-2017 transfer window. That year they sold Benteke to Palace for 28 million. They sold Jordan Ibe to Bournemouth for 16 million. They sold Joe Allen to Stoke for 14 million and Brad Smith to Bournemouth for um, 3 million. Okay. Now Benteke had gone to Liverpool for pretty big money. Um, I can't remember the, the exact fee. I'm assuming it was, I think it was in around that that 20 30 million pound mark and on the back of being in tremendous form for Aston Villa and he really was superb he was one of the players to watch in the league he was just uh, personally I had gr- great time watching him a big strong center forward who was always good in the air 
His chest control at the time was absolutely superb. He was just getting goals for fun. And he was an exciting talent to watch. And you can see on the back of the way he was playing with Aston Villa why Liverpool signed him. Excuse me while I take a drink of water. Then, when he went to Liverpool, it didn't work. He did not score goals. That is the simple fact of it. His performances weren't there. His confidence seemed to be rock bottom. He just didn't seem a, a shadow of that player. On the back of his time at Liverpool, to get £28 million for him was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I know he signed a contract extension with Crystal Palace recently. But while he's been decent at, in spells at Palace, he never has never since replicated that Aston Villa form. And to get £28 million for a player like that is absolutely incredible. And you think of what £28 million could have bought you throughout the league at different times since then. Then, if you're to look at Jordan Ibe, I remember when I saw Jordan Ibe was sold for 16 million, and I went, my God, what are they doing? Um, I, I thought that he was potentially going to be, uh, you know, he was going to be at Sterling's level. He looked an absolute amazing player when he when he broke onto the, the, the scene with the club. Looked an extremely talented player. Then after he left Liverpool and he went to Bournemouth, again, he did not seem a shadow of the player that or the the potential that we thought he was going to be and I wonder in that instance was the conversation between Klopp and Michael Edwards based on the data that had been produced in training was he going to be getting to that right level and they probably sold him at the best time but getting 16 million again fantastic and I look at Joe Allen for 14 million fantastic and Brad Smith a player who I don't know if he had played for Liverpool even getting that 3 million for a player at that level and again didn't do much with Bournemouth fantastic he dated they did pretty well overall in that tr- in that window when you look at the sales that they had the next season they sold Coutinho th- to Barcelona for 121 million I think everybody who watched Coutinho at Liverpool will agree he was a fantastic player he was an absolutely brilliant player the, the way that he could cut in on his on his right foot, whip a ball was absolutely superb. His passing, set pieces, everything. He was an absolutely fantastic player. I don't think there's anybody out there, apart from the board at Barcelona, that thought he was worth 121 million. And to get that is absolutely incredible. Now, I am 100% an advocate that the price that you get for a player is always going to be based on the selling club. Um, and we see links at the moment of Harry Kane for 100 million and people saying Declan Rice 100 million it's not that their ability as a footballer makes them worth 100 million and that a player who costs 50 million is half as good as them there is no direct correlation between price and ability the price is down to the selling club they set a price based on what they feel it will cost them to replace that player to bring in somebody who they feel is of an adequate standard and in order to redirect other funds into the squad, into the training facilities, whatever it might be. That's what a price is based on. What the player is worth to that club. And if players are saying, no, he's not worth that, he's worth 60 million or whatever, and there's another player goes for 60 million and they're not as good as that person, it's it's a, an absolute mess. So the price of a player is not a direct correlation to that player's ability. It is a correlation to what that player is worth to the club who is selling them. But even at that, that would mean that Liverpool had to dig it in and say, no, for us to let Coutinho go, we need 120 million because we'll need to replace him. We, we might even need two players, whatever it might be. They would have had their case and they managed to get that money. And 
it's absolutely insane to think of it. Um, they, they, that's in that same year they sold Sacco, um, Hamid Sacco to Crystal Palace for twenty five million, who had been on loan with them the year before. They got two million off the the loan deal, and I think it, it might have been twenty four million maybe that they then got on the permanent transfer from Mohamed Osako, who was, I mean, he was captain of PSG at a young age, but I don't think that when you look at the market again around that, when you look at what 25 million would get you, I don't think anybody would be saying that that was the best deal in the of the transfer window or that that was a bargain signing. But following the loan deal, Crystal Palace obviously wanted him and for Liverpool to make that deal, they set it at 25 million which is crazy to think about. So between those two players, they made up 145 million. And I have to credit Michael Edwards with bringing that in. The season after, Dominic Solanke went to Bournemouth for 19 million. Incredible. I Absolutely fantastic work to bring that for a player who was tipped as being a hot prospect, but didn't have a goal-scoring record at a senior level. They managed to get 19 million from him. And Danny Ward went to Leicester for 12 million. Now, how many games has Danny Ward played for, for Leicester? He hasn't got near Casper Schmeichel and he's nowhere near his level. And they managed to get 12 million for him. I think, again, fantastic business. Next season, they sold Ings for 20 million. Now, Ings, you can 100% say, has been a success. He, Ings for 20 million is now, now a great price, all things considered. But at the time, he had come back from a lot of injuries. He wasn't scoring and they managed to get the 20 million for him, which I don't think anybody at the time may have thought it was worth. And even now, Ings' value at his age isn't going to be, be be that much higher. But I think still think it was an incredible sale. And they got Kent off to to Rangers for six million in the same season. They got six million for Mignolet, who was completely out of favour, was never going to be playing, and they managed to get the six million for him. And then the year after that, which would have been the twenty twenty one window, they got twenty three million for Rian Brewster. So a player who didn't have did he have any goals at senior level for, for Liverpool, sir? Um, I'm not sure. Certainly not in the league, I would think. They managed to get 23 million for him, which makes the Solanke deal, you know, it's eclipsed by 4 million on that. And Brewster went to Sheffield United, who struggled all season. Um, I don't even know if he got a league goal last year. Um, If he did, it kind of went under the radar a bit on my side. But they managed to get 23 million for him. Now there's talk of Jordan Shakiri leaving um, and there's talks of a transfer fee of 12 million plus. You have to give massive credit to Michael Edwards for the negotiating of those fees. Everybody talks about Daniel Levy and how difficult it is to, to deal with Daniel Levy at Spurs and that's why, you know, you don't they don't get players off Spurs for cheap and everything that goes with it and he's a, he's a real shrewd negotiator. And he's got that reputation of it, so people go into it with that. Nobody speaks of Michael Edwards like that. Certainly not in the media. Whether they do internally or within clubs, I don't know. But he doesn't have that reputation for it, and it doesn't come out. And I wonder, does he just have a smile on his face as he goes into it, and people end up leaving with their pants down without realising it? But I think that it's it's an area that you have to look at. You, you have to look at Liverpool. You have to look at the work that Michael Edwards has done as part of that team in the in the selling that they've been doing and just just to have to commend them because some of those deals are incredible 28 million for Benteke 16 million for Jordan Ibe 120 million for Coutinho 25 for Mohamed Asako 19 million for Solanke uh, 23 million for Bruce there to get that value in is absolutely incredible and I reckon after 12 months there is not 
a single one of the players that I just ran through quickly there was worth anywhere near the value that that they would have sold them for. So I think you have to just give, you have to to doth thy cap and just say, you know, well done to to the work that Michael Edwards does there. The the next thing that I want to do to touch on is, is something that as an Arsenal fan, I, I found quite upsetting if I'm being honest with you. Um, and I don't know if anybody has seen the the video of it, but it's a it's a video of Martin Udegaard uh, at um at Real Madrid training, and it's it, it it genuinely is upsetting to watch. They're they're doing a training drill. The ball comes in. Player chests it down. Um, player coming in then takes a shot and scores, as as happened in this video. And there's probably six or seven players who who take shots throughout the disco. Marcelo. Um, they score and all of the the other players then who are in the group ah, they give a big cheer and they're all hugging and kissing and there's a great uproar and bravado and everybody's having a good time the ball gets chest- chested down to Martin Odegaard he slots it home and it's radio silence the next player comes up gets it chests the ball down scores and there's uproar once again and I've I, I watched the video because I, I, I'd kind of heard that, oh, there's talks of Martin Odegaard being, um, being you know, alienated in, in training at Real Madrid and everything that goes with it. And I watched the video and my heart went out to the guy. I mean, Martin Odegaard is a 22-year-old guy, you know, and he's, had a dr- he's probably dreamt of playing for Real Madrid. He's another one of these guys who broke on the scene at a very young age. I think he was, was he 16 when he was, when he joined, joined Real Madrid? Um, I'm not sure. He wouldn't have been much older. He definitely would have been there at, at 17 anyway. Um, and was tipped from a young age to be a star. There was a lot of pressure putting him as a footballer, as not even as a footballer, as a as a as a teenager, as somebody who wasn't even an adult. There was a lot of pressure putting him that he was going to be the next big thing, and he was going to be one of the best in the world. And that must be difficult at, at that age. And I think that it's great if it works out. And it's great if the person is a level head, which I think Odegaard does from any time I've seen interviews with him and stuff. He he seems like a, a very level-headed and down-to-earth guy. But I think that when you then have that, you know, and you get that dream of playing for Real Madrid and you join Real Madrid at 16, 17 years of age and you think, wow, it's it's actually happening. Everything that's been, been talked about, everything that's been hyped up, it's actually starting to happen now. Um, And then he was sent out on loan, which as a young player at Real Madrid 100% happens that that's that's how they do they do business and um, they they tend to loan players out until they feel that they are in the prime of their career almost and they are the elite and that's when they come back and they join this this team of absolute superstars but with Odegaard the fact that he's gone back after having these loan spells he was with Sociedad last season and he was with when he and he was with uh, with Arsenal last year for six months, um, and he spoke a lot about um fitting in well at Arsenal, um he he spoke about how he got on well with his teammates, and he put a lot of emphasis in in the interviews that that were done with him about kind of feeling a part of something, and feeling belong like he like he belonged, and to then go back to Real Madrid, they were saying we don't know what we're going to do with you ne- next season. Then and uh, if Zidane had stayed, I think he was gone. Zidane didn't wasn't a a fan of him, um for whatever reason. Um, then Ancelotti joined, and Ancelotti says straight away, "Yes, you're part of my plans." 
He released a statement on the back of that saying, I can't wait to be part of, of Real Madrid for the upcoming season. Then there's discussions about Real Madrid maybe selling him because of the fact that financially they might need the money because of the, the predicament that they're in. Um, and the like, getting rid of the likes of him could go towards funding bids for Mbappe and everything that goes with that. But I think that that Mbappe to Madrid rumor is going to be out every season. It's going to be like Fabregas to to Barcelona when he was back at Arsenal, where it's just every season it's going to it's going to pop up. And then so all of a sudden he's gone from he's going to be out the door. Now I want you as part of the team. We might have to sell you, but it's nothing personal. It's down to financial reasons. Um, to Ancelotti then coming out and saying no, he's part of the squad and. Then to see a video of him training and having him, as I said, look completely alienated, all in the space of six weeks. And I just feel for the guy. I really do. Now, there's another side note to this, where as an Arsenal fan, I thoroughly enjoyed having Martin Odegaard as part of the, the squad last season and would absolutely love Arsenal to sign him. Um, and I genuinely think that if I was him and I was in a player where... I was he was speaking so positively about the atmosphere at Arsenal and how we got on with everybody to go back to a situation like that I just I think he has to he has to have a part in him where he's where he's wanting to leave where he's wanting to to join Arsenal to just to get out of Madrid and just to get away from that and it's a fresh start and all of a sudden then his career can can take off and absolutely flourish and that's certainly what I'd be hoping and I and as I said I would absolutely love if um if he joined Arsenal I think it would be it would be a fantastic signing. I think he's a serious player and I think he's got a very high ceiling where he can only only get better and better. And ideally then with Madrid's financial situation, you'd be hoping that you could get him at a, a at a reduced price. Um, I'd also expect I haven't heard any links. I think Madrid are saying that they're going to go into the season with Alaba and Militao as their as their starting centre backs. Um both were full backs converted to centre back. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a centre half signing on their mind um, 40 million for Varane might be enough to do it they might want more money with that um, in particular if they're looking at other deals so I think that Martin Odegaard as much as they want to say one thing or another I do think there's a chance that he'll leave Madrid this season if he does I really do hope that he that he joins Arsenal because I think he'd be an absolutely superb signing for us on the basis of or on the back of the, the loan he had last season where I really felt he, he knitted the play together so well um, I don't think he's necessarily always going to be that person with the killer ball with that um, with that assist that he's going to get it though he does have the, the eye for it and certainly the ability but what he does very well is he connects the play he he's always there as a fulcrum um, similar to what you would see with a lot of a lot of players playing a number six role where they dictate the play but he does it from the edge of the box and if you've got if you've got I suppose clever players if you've got the likes of let's say Smith Rowe who if Udegaard was playing can play coming in from the left you've got the likes of Saka and I think if you've got good movement up front and with that maybe a, a central midfielder who's willing to to get a bit more adventurous similar to the way that Aaron Ramsey used to make a lot of runs into the box and things I think that you've got a player there who could definitely get definitely link that together and who would do do fantastically at Arsenal and I'm, I'm just looking there and I can see avoiding relegation saying that Ben Foster said the same thing when he was at, when he was in Manchester um about the the pressure getting to him and I, I, I definitely think that that happens to, to players. There's, As I said, there's a lot of these players and they're, they're just young men. I think back to myself, at, let's say, for example, if we look at Bakayo Saka stepping up to take the last penalty for England, I look back to myself at, at 19 years of age and being in a stadium like that, having the, you know, the weight of a nation on top of your shoulders and 
you forget because of how good Saka has been for Arsenal that he is only 19 years of age. And I think when you look at Martin Odegaard, because of the fact that his name has been around for so long, he is only 22 years of age. He's been at Madrid for five or six seasons at 22 years of age without getting a, a real crack in the first team. And he's gone on, I think, three or four loan deals anyway. Um, definitely three because he was with Arsenal and Sociedad and I know he had a, a loan the, the season before that as well and not settling in or not, not not necessarily not settling in but not you know getting that position in the in the starting 11 and commanding that place in the in the team and then to be in a situation where he's enjoyed a loan spell and to go back I just find it um I don't know I, I, if, if you haven't seen the video go watch the video it is it is upsetting if I'm being honest with you you really do feel for the guy and um, whether you're a fan of his or you're a fan of Madrid or a fan of Arsenal, as I said, who I'm who I'm linking him to now, um, you know, regardless of that, as as a young man being there, I think you will you will genuinely um feel for him. So do check that out. Um, so I think on that um rather sad note, I I, I don't I wouldn't like to end on a on a sad note if I I planned it properly, but uh, alas, planning might have gotten the the better of me there, but. I think I'm going to I'm going to wrap that up there. I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who joined me today live on Twitch during the recording. To those listening to the podcast later, don't forget to follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv/interoz where you can get involved in the live chat for the next episode and also on Twitter at into_row_z. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you on the next one. Shlongofol.